Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schaus. Episode 14, Ivan IV, The Early Years, Part 1. Before we move on to Ivan Vasilievich, we need to retell the story of the death of his father, Vasily III, and how Ivan became heir to the throne. Vasily's first wife, Solomonia, was seemingly barren, and Vasily, having ruled Russia for more than 25 years, needed an heir. Divorce because of an inability to have a child was not permitted by the church, so Vasily did what any autocrat with almost unlimited power would do. He had the head of the church, the Metropolitan, removed and replaced him with someone more agreeable to his predicament. In stepped Metropolitan Daniel, who allowed the divorce to go through, sending Salomonia to a nunnery in Suzdal. He then married the beautiful and much younger Elena, or Helena Glinskaya, with the hopes of having an heir before death came. An interesting side note, Elena Glinskaya had much Tartar blood in her, as did many of the Boyar families. Some in her family claimed to have both blood from Rurik and from Genghis Khan. The divorce, though, brought condemnation for many who thought it a grand injustice. One, Patriarch Mark of Jerusalem laid a curse on the newlywed couple. He said, quote, If you should do this evil thing, you shall have an evil son. Your nation shall become prey to terrors and tears. Rivers of blood will flow. The heads of the mighty will fall. Your cities will be devoured by flames. As we shall learn in the coming weeks, Patriarch Mark was a very prophetic man. Divorces were in the news during this time period elsewhere in Europe, as Henry VIII was going through a number of wives at the same time. Fortunately for Salomonia, Vasily was far kinder to his wife than Henry was to his. But, unfortunately for the newlyweds, no child was forthcoming. Four years they tried to have a child, but none came to the man considered more powerful of an absolute ruler than any European ruler of the time. That is, until on the evening of August 25, 1530, a boy was born to the royal couple, a son named Ivan. In many a chronicle of the time, it was noted that huge storms erupted that evening throughout all of Russia, a foretelling of a storm about to take place throughout the land. It is apropos that storms were to erupt because the name later given to Ivan, Grozny, derives its roots from the word grom, meaning thunder. But let me stop here and propose something somewhat controversial. I believe it wasn't the women who were sterile or had problems. It was Vasily. Later in the podcast, I will reveal who I and a few other Russian historians have proposed as being the real father of Ivan and his soon-to-be-born brother. Ivan was taken to the Trotsa Sergeyevska Monastery and to the tomb of St. Sergius of Radnez, where the young boy was laid on and christened. His name, Ivan, is the Russian equivalent of John, after John the Baptist. Two years passed when Ivan's parents had another child, Yuri, who unfortunately was born a deaf mute. He was to be Ivan's best and sometimes only friend for many years. Vasily, on a trip to his estate near Volokolomask, hoping to go hunting, developed a sore on his left thigh, which soon became infected and extremely painful. 
Given the state of medicine at the time, there was little the doctors could do for the Grand Prince. Knowing the end was near, Vasily called on two of his confidential secretaries, Yakov Mansarov and Grigory Putyatin, and they headed to Moscow. They headed to Moscow to destroy his original will, which was drawn up before his marriage to Elena. A new will was to be drawn up. Vasily had to make it back to Moscow, and with winter drawing near, he had little time left to make it there alive. Still, make it he did. Even though in agony, he stayed alive long enough to set up a meeting of the Privy Council, which was attended by Princes Vasily and Ivan Shusky, Boyars Mikhail Zakharin, Mikhail Voronstov, and Mikhail Tushkov Morozov. Also, Peter Golovan, the chief treasurer, Ivan Shigona, the chamberlain, and Prince Mikhail Glinsky, Grand Princess Elena's uncle. He told the gathered that Ivan was to be the heir, and that they were to take care of him with Elena serving as the regent, with the advice of the Council of Boyars. Three days later, he addressed a larger audience and gave the following speech. Quote, as you all well know, our sovereignty over Moscow, Vladimir, and Novgorod descends from Vladimir, Grand Prince of Kiev. We are your hereditary sovereigns, and you have been our boyars from time immemorial. With me, you governed the land, and I held you in honor, and especially favored your children, and my fame reached all countries. You have all taken the oath to serve me and my children, so now, on your lives, I commend you to my princess and her son, Grand Prince Ivan. Brethren, preserve the Russian land, his sovereign state, and preserve Christianity entirely from all its enemies. I now know that I am near to death, and therefore I have written in my will how it must be with Princess Elena, my sons and my brothers in the years to come. If you wish to see good come to pass, and put your names on the will, and kiss the cross as a sign that you will have kept your oaths. And if I have written anything unworthy, it can be changed. Seven, seven days later, on December 3rd, 1533, Grand Prince Vasily, who became a monk named Vasion on his deathbed, died. For more than 70 years, his father, Ivan the Great, and he ruled Russia. Few alive remembered a time without a strong and competent ruler guiding the land of the Rus. This was to change shortly. Young Ivan Vasilievich was crowned the sovereign of all of Russia just a few days after his father's death, no doubt overwhelmed by the ceremonies taking place. Metropolitan Daniel proclaimed, May God bless you, sovereign, Grand Prince Ivan Vasilievich of Vladimir, Moscow, Novgorod, Piskov, Tver, Smolensk, Yugork, Perm, the land of the Bulgars, and many other lands, Tsar and sovereign of all Russia. And may you remain in good health until the grand princely throne of your father. Ivan was now in name the ruler of a vast land, much smaller than Russia of today, but large nonetheless, with a population of around 8 million. But this was a rule in name and ceremony only. When paraded around foreign dignitaries or during church holidays, he was deferred to as the Grand Prince. But in private, which was most of the time, he was treated with disdain or completely ignored and kept in the one square block Kremlin, not really ever getting to see the lands he supposedly ruled over. 
Guards abounded around the boy, not because of a threat from without, because of the many threats within, from his uncles and cousins, the hundreds of princes, and from the boyar families who saw an, a way to absolute power. There were many powerful boyar families who were exceedingly wealthy. In fact, there were approximately 15 Muscovite boyar families who were known throughout Moscow's history. There were many princes, but two princely families were to play a major role during the early years of Ivan's life, the Belskis and the Shuiskis. The former related to the maternal side of the Rurik dynasty, and the latter descended from the grand princes of Nizhny Novgorod. The palace of the Kremlin was unusual, as its hallways and stairways were extremely narrow, as only two or maybe three people could walk side by side. This, of course, was by design to limit the number of potential attackers who could physically confront the numerous guards stationed throughout the palace. Meeting with the various levels of hierarchy within the Kremlin was based on the heritage of the visitor. If you were part of the Rurik line, you may even get to meet the Grand Prince himself. Lower princes and boyars went through a very strict hierarchical system of noblemen and servants. Moving from one room to another was also planned carefully, as the doorways were exceedingly short and narrow, forcing the person to enter, bowing his head down in order to make it through. Ivan's education was handled by carefully selected priests, and from all accounts, Ivan was an excellent student, a voracious reader with a passion for history, especially the historical accounts of the great leaders of the past, like Augustus, Alexander the Great, and Julius Caesar, as well as famous Russian rulers such as Alexander Nevsky, Dmitri Donskoy, and of course his grandfather, Ivan the Great. Sadly, his only playmate was his deaf-mute brother, Yuri. Having fun and enjoying his childhood was not to be in the cards for Ivan. It is at this time that some of the stories of Ivan's cruelty to animals begin. There is talk of him enjoying the torture of cats, dogs, and other pets, throwing some from the tower windows. How much of this is true remains pure speculation, as a number of the accounts of the time were written by enemies of Ivan, men who hated his policies and were the victims of his retribution. Some of the stories, though, have a smattering of truth attached to them. In my review of the writings, it is highly likely that he did commit a number of cruel acts on animals, but how much can you blame on him, and how much blame has to be put on those who were supposed to care for him? He was unimportant to most of them except as a figurehead to be controlled. He would learn this lesson very well. The first person to try to seize the throne was none other than Vasily's brother Yuri of Dmitriov, or was he? A plot was supposedly uncovered by Prince Andrei Shuisky and reported to the council that Prince Yuri was trying for a palace coup. Whether trumped up or real, which I find doubtful, Yuri is put in heavy chains and sent to jail where he would live for two and a half years by the order of Regent Elena and the Council of Boyars. Next up was the one and only Regent Elena, Ivan's own mother, who took a lover in the handsome and young Prince Ivan Obolensky. Elena's uncle, Mikhail Galinsky, was aghast with this unseemingly liaison, but he also knew that this man was a major threat to his position, as at the time he was the most powerful man in government. Elena knew she needed to get rid of her meddlesome uncle or risk losing her position as regent. 
on August 5, 1534, in front of the Boyar Council, Prince Mikhail Galinsky was arrested and hauled off in heavy chains, just as he had ordered Prince Yuri two years before. He, like Yuri, was to die in chains two years later. Now Prince Ivan Fyodorovich of Chenya Tilyepnev Obolinsky, Elena's lover, was the power broker behind the throne. His sister, Agrafina, was Ivan's nurse and companion. It is he who I believe was the real father of Ivan and Yuri, as he was rumored to be Elena's lover before Vasily died. Obolinsky knew, though, that the survival of Elena was tied to his survival. But she was still young, being in her late twenties, and she was the mother of Ivan. There were many who wanted her dead, but a crisis arrived that temporarily saved her. It was an attack by their old enemy, the Lithuanians, that brought together all the bickering factions. Sigismund I came to the throne of the combined Lithuanian and Polish nation in 1506 and decided to right the wrongs of the past and march on Russia's cities, beginning with the capture of three. Bryansk, Starobda, and Chernikov. Prince Obolinsky helped repulse the Lithuanians, and by the end of October 1534, was only 35 miles from the Lithuanian capital of Vilna. Elena took the glory and honor and solidified her power base. She also instituted a number of reforms, one being the change of coinage from a clipped coin, which could be cut up as needed to make you know, purchases, to one made of silver, which had a picture of a mounted knight with a spear called a cope. So the coin became known as the kopek. She also began building a number of grand churches and monasteries as well. Being the shrewd ruler that she was, she also needed to get rid of any perceived enemies, with one being the remaining brother of Vasily III, Prince Andrew of Staritsa. The Shuisky faction also wanted Andrew out of the way for their own selfish reasons, and passed along a rumor that the prince was unhappy and showing signs of disloyalty to his nephew, the Grand Prince. He knew, though, just as had happened to his brother Yuri, that he had a target on his back. He packed up his bags and family and fled. Andrew headed towards Lithuania, but heard that Elena sent Obolinsky's forces that way to try to capture him. He then turned towards Novgorod and begged for help. Some thirty nobles came out to help, but with agents everywhere, Obolinsky knew what was happening, and suddenly appeared surrounding him and his followers. Andrew made a peace gesture and was assured that he would be safe if he agreed to come back to Moscow. After arriving, just two days later, he was put into chains, and just like Brother Yuri and Prince Mikhail before him, he died. Flush with success in ridding herself of the last perceived threat, Elena was assured she was safe. But this was to be a short-lived feeling. Next week we find out what happens to Elena, as well as continuing the story of Ivan's early years as Grand Prince of Moscow and all of Russia. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of August 1st through the 7th. 1714, we have the Battle of Gangut, the first important victory of the newly formed Russian Navy. In 1999, we have the Second Chechen War. In 2008, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the famed Russian author, dies. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please visit the websites at russianrulers.podhoster.com, markshouse.com, 
Become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. Ask a question, make a suggestion, leave a comment, and as always, Das Vidanya и спасибо большое.